invite you to open your Bible with me to the book of Jonah chapter 4. Uh, Jonah 4, 1 through 11 will be our text this morning. As I said during the announcement, the Family Fest event has finally come upon us. We've been preparing uh, for a little over a year now, preparing for this week when all these mission teams from all over the country would be coming to our area and doing mission work in Jesus' name. So now that Family Fest is here and now that missions is on our mind, you might ask the question, why are we looking at an Old Testament book today? Now, why not look at, for example, the Great Commission where Jesus said, go and make disciples in all the nations? Why not look at something from the book of Acts where the early church was going around telling everyone about Jesus Christ? Why not look at the Apostle Paul and what his message was for, for reaching the lost? Why look at an Old Testament book? And why the book of Jonah? What does a man being swallowed by a great fish have anything to do with mission work here in our community this week? Well, if nothing else, the book of Jonah teaches us that God loves lost people. The book of Jonah teaches us that God has a desire for us to reach the lost with His message. Whether it be going across seas and going to other nations across the world or whether it be simply across the street God wants us to go forward in his name sharing his message reaching the lost this morning I want you to ask God to give you his heart for both the nations and for your neighbors as we are participating in missions this week, as, as this mission team from Alabama and the one from Indiana has come to help us out, we are to be on mission with them. So let us pray as they've come to do missions and as we are doing missions, I want you to pray that God would give you His heart to reach the nations and to reach our neighbors for Christ. I'd like to ask you at this time, if you are able, to please stand with me in reverence for reading the Holy Word of God. I'll be reading from Jonah chapter 4, starting at verse 1, and here the prophet Jonah writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Actually, chapter 3, verse 10, right above it there. It says, When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which He had declared He would bring upon them, and He did not do it. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Let's pray. Mighty God, we've come to the point in our service where we open up this book. Father, we do so with the understanding that this is more than just a book. This is more than just words on a page. But Father, we come this morning as a church with the conviction that this is the Word of God. That there is a God, this God has spoken and He has revealed Himself and He has chosen to do so through the pages of Scripture. 
Therefore, God, when we come to this book, we come with reverence. We come with obedience. Father, we come with an open heart that you might speak to us, that you might transform us. God, that you might give us a heart for the lost, whether they be around the world or whether they be across the street. God, let us love people the way you love people. Father, may your message this morning impact the way we do missions this week. Speak to us, we pray, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The book of Jonah is familiar to many of us, if nothing more than the story of Jonah and the whale. Scripture actually says it was a, a great fish, but whether it was a fish or of the whale species, we are familiar perhaps with the, with the idea or, or the, the image, the story of Jonah being swallowed by the whale, but I think to really understand the entire book, we've got to remember why Jonah was in the sea in the first place. Remember back in chapter 1, God called Jonah as a prophet living in Israel. God said, I want you to take this message and I want you to preach to these people living in Nineveh, the great city of Nineveh, the Assyrian Empire. And Jonah said, I don't want to go preach to those people. I don't like those people. So instead of going towards Nineveh, Jonah got on a ship and, and was heading in the opposite direction, trying to run from God, as, as dumb as that sounds. But you know, really, a lot of us are guilty of the same thing, aren't we? God tells us to do something or calls us to do something and we don't want to do it. We try to go the opposite way, but it didn't work for Jonah and it ain't going to work for you either. <laughs> Let's go ahead and let you in on that secret. So Jonah's trying to run from God. God causes a great storm on the, on the sea and eventually Jonah realizes it's his fault, tells the sailors, throw me overboard and, and the storm will pass. And sure enough, they threw him overboard and God caused the storm to, to cease. But then God appointed a great fish, it says, to swallow Jonah. So while Jonah was in the belly of the whale, he came to kind of this understanding that, you know, I, I'm, I'm being an idiot trying to run from God's call. I need, to, I need to ask God's forgiveness. And so Jonah prays in chapter 2 that God would forgive him. And sure enough, God does. And the end of the chapter, it causes, God causes the fish to vomit Jonah up on the dry land. And where he comes out is where he was supposed to have been going in the first place. So it's a lot easier to go on your own in the direction God wants you to go than having God send you there because if you do, you might end up in, in whale vomit. <laughs> Metaphorically or, or, or maybe even literally, who knows. So when God calls you to do something, respond in obedience. So Jonah gets spit out on dry land. And he goes in chapter 3 and he finally preaches this message to the Ninevites. It was basically in 40 days God is going to send his judgment. Some people have, have kind of boiled down his message to three words, turn or burn. The people hear the message and guess what? They responded. They said, you know what? We, we repent. And, and so they were sorry for their sins and began to, to, to turn their lives over to God and God began to do a mighty work there in Nineveh. That brings us to our text today, the end of chapter 3 we just read. And it says that when God saw their deeds, He saw that they began to turn from their wickedness and, and He relented. He, he stayed His hand of judgments on those people. 
And we would think at that point that Jonah would be ecstatic. Uh, God had sent me on this mission. I preached. These people have turned towards God. What a wonderful day. Revival has come. Praise God. But that wasn't his response. Verse 1, it says, It greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. It doesn't really tell us exactly why Jonah was so upset. It could be a sense of nationalistic pride on his part because he was a Jew. These people weren't Jewish. Jews were the people of God, not the Assyrians, and he felt perhaps that God doing this work in them was not fair. Because after all, they, they didn't look like Jonah. They didn't dress like Jonah. They didn't talk like Jonah and you know we tend to think so less of Jonah for being that way but really in, in truth maybe some of us are that way oh yeah I've got no problem telling people that look like me about Jesus I've got no problem telling people that, that dress the same way I do and use the same language I do. I've got no problem telling those people about Jesus. But when it comes to crossing cultural boundaries, maybe some of us aren't too thrilled about that idea. And if not, shame on you. Shame on Jonah, shame on you. Maybe it was national pride that kept Jonah from doing God's work, or, or maybe it was a sense of self-righteousness. Maybe Jonah thought, you know, I'm a believer in God and, and, and you know, I worship God. I go to the, I'll go to the meeting house and, and, and hear God's Word. I sing songs to God. I pray. I give my tithes. And I give my offerings. And God's pretty lucky to have a man like me on His team. But you know those people over there? You know, they use some of the foulest language I've ever heard. They wear some of the skimpiest outfits I've ever seen. You know, they they drink stuff and smoke stuff. and I'm not all about that. You know, shame on them for not being like me. You know, Jonah perhaps thought that way, and maybe you think that way. Maybe the reason you don't tell other people about Jesus is because you think you're better than they are. You think you're holier than they are. Shame on Jonah for thinking that way and shame on you for thinking that way. If that's what's keeping you from sharing the good news of Jesus. You know, God forbid lost people act like lost people. <laughs> you know, we, we, we tend to forget who we were before Christ saved us. We can't expect people that don't know Jesus to live like they know Jesus. It's our responsibility and our obligation. It should be our joy be able to tell folks about Christ. But Jonah wasn't too pleased. He didn't have God's heart for the lost. And maybe you don't have God's heart for the lost, but how do we do that? How do we have a heart like God for people that don't know Him? First of all, I think we need to look at God's character. At His character. In the first four verses, I think it, it teaches us some good, sound theology. You might hear that word theology and you say, man, that sounds boring. That sounds dry. We have theology, what is that? It's, it's literally it's the study of God. And you say, now what, why do I want to do that? 
Well, theology has, I think, three purposes. First of all, you, you learn about God. And I'm a firm believer, the more you know about God, the more reason you have to love God. And if anything's going to make you love God more, I think it's something that's worth your time. So you learn about God, it helps you to love God. And then the more you love God, the more you want to live for God, right? The more you want to live a life that's pleasing to Him. So theology, to learn about God, to love God, and live for God. And these first four verses give us some good, sound theology. It helps us to understand who God is. And the more we understand Him, uh, the deeper in love I think we ought to fall in love, fall for Him. So look at His character. First of all, He is available. He's available. It's already said that Jonah was angry and he was mad. Verse 2, he prayed to the Lord God. He said, this is what I said when I was still in my own country. I didn't want this to happen. Verse 4, says, the Lord said to him. So even in the midst of Jonah being a spoiled brat, he went from being a, a, a preaching prophet to a pouting prophet. And in spite of that, God still took the time to hear Jonah's prayer. You know, God always hears our prayers. But does God always respond the way we want God to respond to our prayers? No. Because quite frankly, sometimes we're way outside His will. Sometimes sin in your life will hinder the way God hears and responds to your prayers. But yet He's still available. Even though Jonah had turned his back on God, even though Jonah didn't have God's heart for the people, God still had a heart for Jonah. So God is available. So no matter how far you might have run from the Lord, He's available for you today. He's just a prayer away. I encourage you, seek Him out. He is available. Then following this, Jonah kind of recites for us some characteristics about God, some attributes of God. This is actually found back in Exodus chapter 34 and some ten times else in the Old Testament. It's a, it's a familiar statement that the Israelites would use when they would refer about God and His characteristics. And in this we see several things listed. First of all, He is gracious. He is gracious. It says to him, In order for forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are, and here they come, a gracious God. It's a gracious God. What is grace? Grace literally is undeserved favor. God giving you something you don't deserve. It's God's love for you. God's desire to give you something even though you don't necessarily deserve it. God's grace for us. We sing in the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. What is so amazing? What's so amazing about it is God's done something for you that you didn't deserve. None of us. The Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It says, but God demonstrates His love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's grace. He loved us, even though we didn't love Him. God is gracious. He is merciful. He is merciful. It says that I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God. If grace is giving you something you don't deserve, mercy is not giving you what you do deserve. Mercy is holding back something 
Mercy is holding back God's judgments. It's, it's a sense of compassion. It's a, it's a desire to see someone in, uh, improve, perhaps pity, empathy or sympathy on someone. God has that for the lost. God has that for you. God's merciful. The fact that none of us are burning in hell right now is a tribute to the mercy of God because we all deserve it. But because God's merciful, He's allowing you the opportunity. He's giving you the time to come to Him. He didn't have to do that. But He's merciful. Praise Him for that. But also, He is long-suffering. Long-suffering. He says, You're gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. Slow to anger. It means God's got a short fuse. Anybody in here have a, or God's got a long fuse. I'm sorry. Good thing God don't have a short fuse. God's got a long fuse. Maybe some of us got a short fuse. Uh, but, but God is long-suffering. He is, he, is, he, is, he is patient. He is enduring. Uh, it, he puts up with a lot of garbage from us as people. And uh, praise God that he does not have a short fuse. You all going to remember that. Nothing else. You're going to walk away. A preacher said God's got a short fuse. <laughs> Strike that from your memory. God has a long fuse. He is long-suffering. No, that he is loving. It says, slow to anger and abundance in loving kindness. Abundant in loving kindness. The Hebrew word there for loving kindness is, is hesed. Hesed. It means a, a covenant kind of love, a, a faithfulness, a love that just won't quit, a love that won't give up, a love that won't turn its back. And that's what it says. It's a, he is a loving God. Love is more than just an emotion. Love is a willful decision to put someone else's needs above your own. The Bible says that God is love and it says he, he proved His love in sending His only begotten Son to die on a cross for your sins so that you might have forgiveness, so that you might have everlasting life. God is a loving God. He is a merciful God. He is a God who keeps His word. He said, I understood that you were abundant in loving kindness. Abundant. Not just a little bit, but abundant. God has much love for you, for the lost. He is a forgiving God. He said, not only are you slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and you are one who relents concerning calamity. One who stays his hand. One who, when a person turns, you will forgive. He's a forgiving God, not, not holding our sins against us. But when we come to Him receiving a clean slate, I don't know about you, but that sounds really good to me. That each day I can wake up and know because of God's love for me and because God is a forgiving God, I get a fresh start because I am, I am His. No matter what I've done, no matter how much I've tried to run from Him, He is a forgiving God. He is not holding my mistakes against me. Praise Him for that. He is forgiving. But also, He is patient. He is patient. We see that in the fact that here is Jonah, who is outside of God's will as far as 
his heart. And you see, Jonah was obedient. He finally did what God called him to do. It took uh, a foot upside the backside, but God got Jonah in the right place, and he gave the right message. He was obedient insofar as doing that, but his motive was wrong. He obeyed, but it wasn't a willful obedience. It's kind of like you're a kid and, and you're told you can't get up from the table until you finish, you clean your plate. And you don't want to eat them peas. <laughs> At least I didn't. You know, but you can't get up, to, but you finally you do it, but you didn't want to do it, you didn't like doing it. But you did it because you had to. That's not what God's after in your life. God wants you to do what He wants you to do, but God wants you to want to do what He wants you to do. It's a difference. But God is patient. He's patient with Jonah. He's, he's pouting. He's the spoiled brat. And He's telling God, "Just I don't want to see these people saved. I'd rather die. Man, just, just how cold-hearted is that? Just go ahead and take my life. I'd rather die. And God says to him, do you have good reason to be angry? Instead of God saying, all right then, if that's what you want, fine. <laughs> God says, wait a minute, do you have good reason? You know, why do you feel this way? And here it is, God is enduring his shortcomings. He's not giving up on Jonah, neither will he give up on you. So these are some of the attributes of God. As you learn about God, as you, as you look at his character, do these character traits reflect you and your character? If not, then maybe, first of all, you are not his child. But secondly, maybe if you are his child and these character traits don't reflect you, maybe you've not, you're not as close to God as you ought to be. So I encourage you, be close to the Lord. Intimacy with God, it rubs off on you. You can't help but spend time with God and come out reflecting his character. As God comes into your heart, He will work Himself out in the way you treat others. So look at God's character. Secondly, learn from God's correction, from His correction. You know, we should expect to be corrected when we get out of line. As a loving parent, God wants us what's best for us, and when we don't live a life that's best for us, we can expect God to correct us and discipline us as His child. You know, the fact of the matter, like Jonah, we are often stubborn. Often stubborn. Look at verse 5. Then Jonah went out from the city and he sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself. He sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. I think he was still holding out hope that God would somehow rain down hellfire and brimstone on this city. I think he was still holding out hope that maybe, just maybe, God would sock it to him and he wanted a front row seat. To this point, he had not completely got on board with God's plan and God's will. He didn't have God's heart for the people. And like Jonah, we are often stubborn, not doing what God has called us to do, spending more time focusing on the wrong of others instead of on our own shortcomings. We're often stubborn, but He is always sovereign. In spite of our failures, God is still in control. God had a, had a plan for the people of Nineveh, and God had a plan for Jonah. 
And God was about to do some miraculous and some marvelous things to try to, to get Jonah back on track here. Starting in verse 6, it says, So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomforts. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. If you're a, a man don't have a lot of hair on your head like myself, you can appreciate some good shade in the summertime when that sun's just beating down on your scalp. Jonah was extremely happy. Oh, what about this? God grew me up a plant here overnight. and Sweet. Verse 7, But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day. It attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint. And he begged with all of his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. You know, here is God demonstrating his power, his omnipotence. You know, God appointed a plant, it grew up. God appointed a worm, it destroyed the plant. God appointed the east wind to blow upon Jonah. Back in chapter 1, God appointed a storm. God hurled a storm on the sea. God appointed a great fish and it swallowed Jonah. Everything in the book of Jonah is obeying God except Jonah. <laughs> and yet God is still in control. God took that fish, took Jonah where he needed to be. And here, even here, God is giving him a lesson. God is putting Jonah in the shoes of the Ninevites. God is putting Jonah in a situation where he desperately needed divine intervention. God, Jonah was in a situation where he was desperate for God to, to have mercy on his life. God was leading him to understand what it was like to be a Ninevite underneath the judgment of God needing God to be compassionate merciful here Jonah is saying God just go ahead and take me out once again this is like Jonah's favorite prayer you know God life is hard just go ahead and take me out God says not yet not yet God has a will for Jonah God has a will for you whatever that is see God loved Jonah and he corrected him God saw Jonah's heart. Jonah's heart wasn't right. And God said, I, I'm going to fix that. And the, and the more Jonah struggled against God, the harder things got. That's a valuable lesson for us right there, isn't it? The more you try to wiggle and fight against the will of God in your life, He is going to make it miserable. And you know what? That's my prayer. I actually prayed that for someone I've seen this week, somebody I knew. Uh, I'm not going to say any names, but a, a dear friend of mine that I knew was outside the will of God. And I said, God, I, I pray you just make his life miserable until he comes back to you. And you know what? If I'm outside the will of God, I pray you, 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 you pray that prayer for me. God, make Brother Todd's life miserable until he is in your will. And God will do that, even if you don't like it. You know, this week we're, going, we're talking about missions, talking about reaching people for the gospel. Maybe God is disciplining you for your lack of a missionary heart. You say, missions, that's not for me, that's for somebody else, that's for the preacher, that's for... But we're all missionaries. If we're, if we're Christian, you're a missionary. You're on mission. And maybe God is correcting you for your lack of concern. If we really believe that the lost are dying and going to hell... 
How much would you have to hate somebody not to tell them that? Well, I don't want to offend nobody. I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want to cause any problems. Or I'm afraid I don't know all the answers. How much would you have to hate somebody not to tell them they're going to hell if you really believe there is a hell? But because you love them, you tell them the truth. I don't want to see anybody go to hell. Let's tell them the truth. Let's speak the truth in love, not be self-righteous about it. Say, hey, I need Jesus as much as you do, if not more. But we all need Jesus. Learn from God's correction. Finally, love with God's compassion. With His compassion. As I said earlier, the more time you spend with God, the more you're going to come off looking like God. As a child of God, there ought to be a family resemblance there. My son Logan, nine years old now. Poor dude, the older he gets, the more he looks like his old man. A family resemblance there. If you are a Christian, there ought to be a family resemblance between you and the Heavenly Father. His compassion for the lost ought to be reflected in your compassion for the lost. We see that in verse 9. First of all, he cares for the saint. God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? He said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. See, God still had a heart for Jonah. Jonah was so far, his heart was so far away from where God wanted it to be. But God still loved Jonah. God still cared about his, his prophet. He was still a child of God. If you're a Christian, he cares about you. And he loves you. And he's willing to put up with a lot of your junk because he wants to, to clear that junk out of your life. And he wants you to be a representation for himself. He repeats this question. He already asked Jonah once. Why do you think God asked him the same question? Because Jonah still ain't got it yet. And God wants him to get it. Why are you so angry about these people getting saved? Why are you so opposed for them being forgiven? He cares for the saint, but also he cares for the sinner. And this is the message. The entire book of Jonah boils down to this. He cares for the saints, even though we get outside his will. He cares for the sinner, and he wants them saved. The Lord said to him, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work. You didn't cause it to grow. It came up overnight, and it perished overnight. You cared about a plant. Verse 11, Should I not have compassion on the Ninevites, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know the difference between their right and their left hand, as well as many animals? God said, You care more about a plant than you do people. And you didn't even cause that plant just all of a sudden grew. And you, and you were so fond of this plant. And here, I have created these people. I have created these men and these women, and, and they don't know the difference between right and wrong. They have not yet come to a knowledge of the truth. They don't know the right from the left spiritually. Should I not care for these folks? And if I punish these folks, even the innocent animals are going to suffer. God said, should I not have compassion on this city? You have compassion on this plant. Should you not have compassion the way I have compassion? And then he stopped. The book 
You're like, okay, what next? And that's, it's done. We said, no, 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 it can't end that way. And there's some people that even said perhaps there, there's an ending to the book of Jonah and it's just lost. And it somehow got thrown in, in the trash or, or, or somebody you know, hit the, the delete button and it's gone. But you know what? The, bo- the book of Jonah ends the way it does for a reason. It's, it's open-ended. It's applicational for the reader. Because now we are in the shoes of Jonah and God said, why don't you have compassion on these folks? Why don't you love these people the way I love these people? Why don't you get on board? Why don't you have my heart? For, the, for not just your neighbors, but also the nations. So now the question is in our court. The ball's in our court. And we've got a wonderful opportunity this evening through this carnival all of us to be on board and help set that thing up. And that sounds like a lot of fun. We also have an opportunity through the sports camps this week. We're going to have volunteers come and do that, but we're going to need you, some of you all. So, man, I don't know the first thing about sports. Do you love people? Do you want to see kids come to know the Lord? you want to see more, more kids in this church that maybe don't go to church anywhere? If that's your heart, you know, come on out for that. Maybe you just... Be there and, and, and laugh and, and goof around with the kids, if nothing else. We could use you. We can use you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for those things. There's people in this community that, that don't know Christ. And we're going to be sending people out door to door handing out information about our church. We could use you for that. There will be volunteers from Alabama going doing it. But what does it say for our church? If it takes outsiders coming and doing this, and we don't want to do it. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we're going to need some of you all to come alongside these volunteers because you know what? They have got the foggiest clue where L&E Junction is. <laughs> They're going to need some of you all to come alongside, if nothing else, to drive them where they need to go and let them go and knock on some doors. And maybe somebody asks a question, you know, what time is service or, or what kind of church is it? And, the, and these outsiders, they don't know, but, but we know. And that's when one of us can say, you know what? It's the best church in the world. Come, come on Sunday, I'll save you a spot next to me in the pew, and, and I'll introduce you to everybody. You know How great does that sound? We're going to need some of you all on board for that. Jonah didn't have God's heart for the lost. Do you? Do you? We've got over 5,000 people within a five-mile ring of our church. How many of those folks you think know Jesus? How many of those folks you think are headed for hell if nothing happens? This morning, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray that God will give you His heart for the nations and for our neighbors. Heavenly Father, we come before you.